Well, after all that, it wasn't my friend Graham at all. It was somebody I didn't know, maybe somebody from the council cutting the hedges. But uh, I still stopped to go past because it was making a fearful racket. And they really do decimate the hedgerows, and I'm surprised that the hedges survive at all, really. Of course, a lot of the birds that nest in them don't. That's partly the problem, which is why there are restrictions on when they can cut the hedges, but I'm not sure all of them abide by them. Anyway, so let's go back after episode 69 to the server itself. What does it do? Well, if you imagine a server is essentially having an enormous number of uh, doorways into it, they're actually called ports. And if you make a request of a server, your request will appear at the server on one of these ports. And a typical server will have 64K, which is 65,536, I think, from memory such ports, some of which it uses for internal purposes. But in essence, you, it can deal with thousands of simultaneous requests. So what does it do? Well, this is happening, incidentally, if you go to Facebook, Google, any website. Essentially what it's doing is it apportions a small piece of memory to you and it checks your credentials against a list so that it will say, has this person got uh, an account with a username and password? And an API key is just a fancy name for a password. So it doesn't really need to be thought of in any kind of awe. It's just the way you use it that's slightly different and that you don't type it in. And then never mind. So there you are, you're, you're logged on you've got an account with Google or Facebook and you're sitting there and you're typing away and it's got an enormous number of such users but each of them has its own memory. Well there are two different things here. There's the memory that is being used to serve up the images that are on the screen in front of you which is probably comparatively small but behind all that there is a memory. So for example if you've uploading photographs to Facebook for 20 years, those, those photographs will all be sitting on a data centre somewhere, identifiably yours, but they're not readily there. You can't just, you can't just look at them. You have to know something about them that allows you to go back and retrieve them, or you wait for Facebook to throw up a memory and say seven years ago today you were saying or doing this and it's all there and it's all available and there is currently although I'm not going to talk about this now currently a bit of a controversy because Facebook Meta Mark Zuckerberg are basically saying they're going to start using this historic data that people have been plowing into Facebook for donkey's years, for 20, 30 years, however long it is, they're going to start using that to train their own models. And the, one of the reasons they're going to do that is because of the lawsuit that the New York Times has brought against OpenAI, that anybody who seems to be training their models on other people's data, to which they do not have a right of access, 
could be in trouble. It remains to be seen how the courts decide all this. I'm sure it will run for years. And so because Facebook's terms and conditions grant meta access to your data and no doubt to use of it and these terms of use get changed most of us don't bother to read them I'm afraid so the last time they changed you could well find that they slipped in a clause that said we can use your data any way we like I don't know uh, but the point is that to be able to do this with impunity that's what must be there somewhere in the terms and conditions that you are agreed upon. Now that of course doesn't just apply to Facebook itself, it also applies to Llama, which is a meta AI, LLM, large language model. It applies to Google, it applies to Microsoft Copilot, it applies to OpenAI, ChatGPT, and DALI and all sorts of other things. So there's a there's a vast array of data out there, to most of which I think if we were to scrutinise our terms of agreement with these mega corporations, to most of which we have given them access as of right, and in some sense or other relinquished any rights over it. Now. What I said last time, sorry, I'm now going off on a bit of a tangent. I wasn't intending to talk about this, but let me just, let's just deal with this and then I'll come back to my server. If one accepts, and if you don't, you're going to have to persuade me that you shouldn't. If one accepts that AI can, and to an increasing extent will be able to, spot patterns in data that we can't see, then AI will look at all this data and the bigger the scope of its grasp, of its command, the more likely it will be able be to be able to use the data to predict in some sense what comes next. So that you might be able to look at all this data, for example, things that are going on now right across the world in Google, Facebook and other things and more or less predict the outcome of the next American presidential election or the UK general election later this year or early next. You might well be able to do that. And nobody might believe you, but I suspect that as time goes on, we won't need pollsters. We'll just ask an AI and the AI will say, on the basis of the data available to me, of course, if you only go for online data, that immediately introduces a bias in favour of the people who have online access and use it, but be that as it may, on the basis of the evidence available, I can tell you what the result of the election is going to be. And you can do it by region, you can do it by constituency, you can do it by state. Yes, of course you can. Of course you can, and I'm sure that somebody already is. I'd be very surprised if not. Going back to my server, there you have your big data center with a very powerful machine, probably many, running many different versions of a software engine, to each of which there can be thousands 
if not tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of accesses at any given time. And if it's the case that several billion people use Facebook and Google, then you need to be able to deal with that. Customers are very, very short in patience with servers that don't serve up what they want when they want it. They don't like what's called latency. They don't like delay between asking the question and getting the answer. And if you look at Google, you can even see the time that it thinks it's taken to serve the answers up. It's fantastically tiny. Millionth or billionth of a second in most cases. So your server needs to be able to serve, that's why it's called a server, all these cases. And in each case, if it's going to be running an AI, it's doing rather more than Google and Facebook are doing because it's not just feeding you your own machine, your own data. It's actually using an AI to process perhaps questions, mark essays and write reports as we've been discussing. So it'll be doing all that. But OpenAI must to some extent already have solved this problem. For example, well, a slightly, a slightly smaller scale outfit like Anthropic, who run Claude.ai, you do often get thrown off, particularly if you're using it free, as I am. You do often get thrown off because it's overloaded. It can't cope with the volume. Now, in my case, because this is really a learning exercise for me, what I've done is to use the server code that the ggml lava.cpp people, particularly Georgi Gerganov and his colleagues, friends, collaborators, that they have written and made available. So I am running that server through a lava interface, but I'm not actually running, uh, did I say lava, llama? through a Llama interface using their main program, server program, to access a web user interface, a web UE, on a local port. And usually it's port 8080, but you can configure it to be anything you like if you get into the innards of the code. And so it runs on a browser like Chrome or Safari or whatever. Thing. And there you have a box into which you can type your questions and there are all sorts of parameters associated with it that you can set. And however many people are logged on at any one time, they're all going to get served this interface in a different way. Well, it looks exactly the same but they can all run different queries on it. It will probably be using just one back-end AI, but the questions that they can ask are entirely up to them. And the AI will do its best to satisfy their requests. So, on my laptop, where, I, of course, I have very restricted resources because I also have to run the AI as well. 
I can't run many simultaneous accesses at all, but I can run some. And when I run them, I can look at the server, I can see how well it thinks it's doing. I can see how many of the available slots are filled. And this is very instructive. And of course, what I am working my way towards, although slowly, is being able to say, all right, let's, let's introduce, interpolate some code that doesn't just answer a user's questions, but also records what the questions were, what the answers were, what the follow-up questions were, and therefore starts in a, an educational, analytic fashion, a bit like Google Analytics, looking at your uh, looking at your website traffic. That begins to use an educational analytics software program, which could itself, and in all likelihood will itself, be an AI to extract from the interaction between each user and the server some useful constructive data that can be used to identify interests, to identify strengths and weaknesses, to identify speed of learning, perhaps to identify gaps in learning. You know, if a, if a, if a user keeps asking a question and not understanding the answer, then either they will give up, or the teacher will give up on them, or the class will start ridiculing them. But somewhere along the line, the reason that child doesn't understand the answer to the question has to do with a gap or a misconception in the child's learning, in the student's learning. So we can also hope that the AI will be in a position to identify what that gap might be. Let me go back, I'm sorry, but let me go back because it's fresh in my mind to my solar panel example. I still struggle a bit with the relationship between the way the panels generate voltage and generate current that produces power. But I think that a decent AI would have helped me by now identify what it is that I'm missing What's the piece of the jigsaw that I haven't yet got, haven't yet grasped, but for which I would have laid this to bed? And one of the reasons for going into this whole business of the server is, of course, you could say to somebody, well, you write this for me and I'll pay you and then I hope I'll make a fortune. And you won't, because you'll have done it for a wage. And then we'll be back in the whole capitalist thing that we've talked about before. Well, you'd hope you, you would be able to ask somebody to write this for you. And indeed, people at Google and Facebook already have, to some extent. But if you don't understand what's possible, you don't necessarily know what to ask for. If you don't know what, what it is you don't know, then you can't ask for clarification of it or for information about it. So part of what I'm doing, part of what I did yesterday, 
But what I didn't quite realize it at the time was to ask myself the question, how does the server work? What is it that it's doing? And I thought that this was fairly frivolous yesterday, but overnight came to me that in fact it's, no, it's not frivolous at all, it actually lies at the very heart of what I'm calling Ride AI. The very heart of the attempt to produce a server that is individualized and responsive to the personal preferences, interests, dispositions, and all sorts of other things, all sorts of other parameters of every single user. So that's kind of uh, stopped me in my tracks a little bit because I had thought that all of this probably still needed to be done, needs to be written, and that it was a bit of a pipe dream, a bit of a flight of fancy, but now that I've put two and two together and seen how, in very large measure, Google and Facebook and Baidu and Weibo and Tencent's WeChat in China and elsewhere, these all have already done this to some extent. The problem at least in its broadest outline, has already been solved. And I'm a little bit surprised that they haven't jumped on this bandwagon, but I suppose it may be a mixture of resources and knowing better than I do where the technology really sits, what developmental stage it's at, because it does strike me that, well, it would be an exaggeration to say a little tweak, but certainly if I had access to a kind, the kind of team that Zuckerberg and the uh, Google and other people have, I reckon that it would be possible to do this interest-driven education pretty much now. And a few weeks ago, I didn't think it would be, ever be possible, certainly in my lifetime, but now I think it can be done. So that's what I'm working on, and that's what I'm sharing with you, because I'm sure everybody but me sees this as obvious, but I'm very late in the slow bear of very little brain. And. Uh, it all came to me overnight, in a flash. So thank you for listening. Interesting, isn't it?